It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. It's October 30th. Thanks so much for listening. The show is made possible by patrons like Jolene, WC, Caddy, David, Mark, Shelly, Lair, Krista, Sam, and Paul. Thanks so much for the support. I couldn't do the program without you. Um, also, I could not have done my logo for the show without Schaefer Smith. It's true. Schaefer Smith Design. Do you need a logo? Do you need graphic design for your website? You need photos? Do you need an online store? What about search engine optimization? You need people to find your website. You need Schaefer Smith. He does website maintenance and security for professional services, corporate, small businesses, entrepreneurs. Schaefer Smith can help you all. Uh, great design. It can solve a lot of a website's problems. You may not even know you have problems. Contact Schaefer Smith at SchaeferSmith.com and get the most out of your website. Nationally, according to the Associated Press, more people have already cast ballots in this year's presidential election than voted early or absentee in the 2016 race altogether. Democrats dominate with about 51% of all the ballots cast. Republicans are at about 30% or so. So that's nationally. What about North Carolina? What do our numbers look like? We want to welcome back to the program Andy Jackson. He is the election policy analyst with the Civitas Institute. Welcome back, Andy. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing well. So what does North Carolina look like for, well, first off, I guess this is like a pretty historic time, obviously, because of the pandemic, but we're seeing massive amounts of absentee balloting and early voting, right? Yeah, it is. It is amazing. We're well. We're on course to go well over four million votes by the time the early voting ends on Saturday afternoon. Um, perhaps uh, four point two million. So, and what is that by comparison to, like, how many registered voters there are in the state? And and I well, guess who we normally have, votes. We have about seven point four million registered voters in North Carolina. Now that includes a lot of uh, of people that have either died or moved out of the states or have otherwise dropped out of the system. Hmm. So you're never going to have a, a, any get anywhere near seven million votes. Uh, just because you know those registra- a lot of those registrations aren't attached to actual voters. Um, but you are going to look at probably a record turnout. We had about a little under 5 million in 2016. I think we're going to go well over 5 million, uh, including Election Day this year. Um, and so every form of voting seems to be going up this year. So that's interesting. I had never considered that as long as I've been covering this stuff. I've never considered that there are a lot of people that are on the voter rolls as registered voters but they don't live here anymore. They passed away or something. And so whenever we see the turnout numbers, like what percentage of the voters turned out to vote, there's never an accounting for, I guess, a certain amount of a certain percentage in there that, of course, they can't turn out to vote. Right. They're they're not on the system. So the actual, if you're going by people that are have voter registrations attached to actual people, the actual turnout is much higher. Hmm. And we're going to have a better idea of that. We have our, uh, biannual list maintenance that happens uh, right around New Year's. And so we're probably going to drop about four or 500,000 people off of the voter rolls. And that'll give us, you know, on the backside, a better idea of how many people that were actually living, breathing voters who turned out to vote. Interesting. So um, I think the Associated Press was reporting that more than half 
of North Carolina's voters have already voted. And we may even see more votes cast early this year than in the entire general election in 2016. Do you think that's realistic? Uh, Probably not at this point. Um, One interesting thing is that traditionally in the past election, usually had a nice peak on the first day of early voting, and then it would drop off dramatically, and then it would gradually go up as you got closer to the election. This year is just the opposite. We we had our, our big peak, and that was actually the biggest day of early voting uh, back on the first day on o- October 15th. But then since then, there's been a gradually uh, trailing off of votes, still at a pretty good pace. We had um, about 225,000 uh that have voted recently and around a little over 200,000 is about what we're getting. Although this decline a little bit each day, we should have a bit of a peak um, right at the last, you know, little bit of, of voting, but um, it doesn't look like it's going to be enough to quite get there. It's still going to be, end up being a turnout record for North Carolina. It's just not going to be a turnout record altogether until election day. Right. So every day you guys at Civitas, you upload all of the latest figures from the board of elections into the discombobulator, whatever program you got going on there, and then it puts itself into this uh, vote tracker. You can go to this, by the way. Anybody can go see this data at carolinaelections.com. And and then you got uh, all the registration data, which, by the way, thank you for that, because the Board of Elections, I I don't know why they keep redoing their website, like, annually. It's this, (laughs) it just seems like they keep changing it, and every time they change it, they take data away that I used to use. So, um but the, the, the county registration numbers and uh, is a great chart, uh, and it's all interactive. And then you can also see the vote tracker, uh, where, as I pull these, uh, this data from, is that as early voting is ending, it appears that turnout so far, uh, it, it, it skews more Democrat than Republican. But I was surprised that even that Republicans are outpacing unaffiliateds at this point. I would have suspected that not to be the case. I would have thought unaffiliateds would be ahead. Well, unaffiliated uh, by their nature are kind of non-committal, yeah. <laughs> um, and so that translates into not committing to a party. But it also translates into generally having lower turnout than people that are openly partisan. Um, and so that's actually—it's actually normal for Democrats and Republicans to be ahead of unaffiliated voters. But when you look at proportion at it proportionately, unaffiliated are up a lot more, which makes sense if you're going to have a high turnout election, it has to increase turnout among people who traditionally don't vote as much. Mm-hmm. So unaffiliated is is behind Democrats and Republicans, but by less than it used to be, at least back in 2016. Right. And so there's a comparison here, right, between the 2016 turnout numbers at this point and the current turnout numbers. So uh, what does that look like? So let's look at the Democrats, I guess, first. Right now, they're like 39 percent of the early votes. Is that more or less of a percentage by comparison than four years ago? Are they doing better or worse? Um, yeah. As a proportion, Democrats are down a little bit. Uh, traditionally, Democrats have dominated early voting. Um, and also, traditionally, Republicans did a little bit better on mail voting. But this year, things have changed. A lot of Democrats switched from early voting to mail voting. Republicans, a lot less so. Um, and so this really front-loaded the Democrats. They started off with an even bigger proportion than 2016, uh, but they've kind of cannibalized their early vote numbers. And so 
the democratic proportion is is going less and less and now it's less than it was in 2016 it's in the upper 30s and still declining um you know in 2016 it was around 42 percent republicans were around 32 percent there are still a little bit less than they were in 2016 but at the rate they're going they'll probably match their 2016 level and unaffiliated um they were at around 26 percent and now they're still up getting close to uh, 30% this year. They're uh, a little bit under 30%. So unaffiliated is going up. Republicans treading water. Democrats are down proportionately. Right. Um, this does leave one question, though. We know that Democrats have cannibalized their early votes to go into mail votes. Uh, the question right now, which we're not going to answer until Election Day, is how much from both parties uh, are going to cannibalize their Election Day votes? Um so far, the early indication is that both Republicans and Democrats are losing about in the mid-teens, around 14, 15 percent of their Election Day votes are voting early this year. But, you know, if we have a really huge turnout, that's going to you know bust that projection out of the water. Yeah. And so that's and that's an important distinction uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one is that cannibalizing early voting um, can actually uh, uh, help you on Election Day because it frees up you know, your manpower, your resources mm -hmm. to go get people that you otherwise would not have been able to get to to get them to the polls. Uh, whereas uh, if you were not uh, having a strong early voting presence, then you you would have to be going back and getting sort of those, you know, B voters. Um, you know, B voters are the ones that kind of only vote in the big elections, not in primaries and that sort of thing. Um, and so if, if now everybody, if you banked all the votes and it has the added benefit of insulating candidates from scandal. Right. Like Cal Cunningham or Joe Biden. If all those uh, votes are now banked, people can't go and get them back. So the votes are already in the bank and now you can go try to get some unaffiliated. You can go get some C voters, people who aren't even aware there's an election. You can get them uh, to the polls on Election Day. But if that doesn't happen, then all you've done is basically right. Just squeeze the balloon and the air went to one side of the balloon. You didn't actually add any air. Right. And, and this does give the Democrats a bit of a resource advantage on that. Uh, as you mentioned, um, they can just devote that to those lower level folks, um, whereas Republicans are still wondering if their regulars or semi-regulars are going to come out on Election Day. Hmm. Um, for the reason you talked about, I'm, I've always been a proponent of voting on Election Day. One of the disadvantages of having an early voting system is that voters are voting based on different information. Um, and by definition, somebody who votes earlier is voting on less information. Um, now, if you're a hardcore partisan, like if you're definitely going to vote Republican or Democrat straight down the line, no matter what, no matter who did what to whom or what criminal charges are up, it doesn't really matter. You can get away with voting early. But for um, anybody who ever considers splitting the ticket, which is apparently a, a diminishing group of voters, um, you really want to have that information. And so it's a it's a good idea to wait and see what comes out because you, you never know how I mean, how many October surprises have we had <laughs> going back to September? <laughs> well, here's the thing, though, the pandemic changes that calculation a little bit because I'm usually one who votes uh, on Election Day or very late in the early voting window. But uh, I voted earlier this year than I ever have just because I didn't want to get sick and not be able to get to the polls. So I wonder how many people are making that sort of calculation here. 
Yeah. So there, yeah, there's two ways on that. One, you don't want something to come up um, where, you know, maybe you have to self quarantine for that period. And then it's too late for you to send in a mail ballot. By the way, I will say, if you have a mail ballot and you have not mailed it in, don't either personally submit it to an early voting site or go ahead and vote in person. It's getting late in the game for sending anything to mail by mail. Um, but yeah, that makes sense as well as people that have expressed concern earlier about getting sick because they're voting uh, because of coronavirus fears. Uh, I personally had a chance to check out the 11th district uh, second primary and observe uh, kind of the safety procedures with the plexiglass and the masks mm -hmm. and the cleaning. And I emerged from that confident that you're actually safer voting. I, I heard that old adage, if you can go to a grocery store, you can vote in person. Actually, I think it's safer to vote in person than to go to a grocery <laughs> store because, frankly, the grocery store workers are starting to get a little lax, uh, you know, getting a little tighter procedure. But, um, you know, the, the, the poll workers are still kind of hyped about exercising and implementing all this. Uh, so I feel, you know, more secure about mm. voting than kind of doing my, the rest of my business. It's safe to vote in person. Yeah. My guest is Dr. Andy Jackson. He's the election policy analyst with the Civitas Institute. You can follow him at ncivitas.org. Also, be sure and check out uh, the vote tracker that Civitas puts together. Uh, you also want to check out Growers Hemp. Okay, Growers Hemp uh, was created by farmers in North Carolina, uh, east of Charlotte, but the farmers are from all over the state, uh, and uh, they wanted to make small farming work for their families, but also help people on their wellness journey. And so they succeed when everybody else does. That's their model. And that's uh, allowed them to make the best quality CBD products at a price that's affordable for darn near everybody. Uh, better quality of life, a balanced state of mind, a positive mental outlook, immune system resilience, uh, deeper sleep, lower tension. What are you looking for? I take CBD oil a couple of drops before I go to bed, and I sleep deeper than I ever have before. Add the natural alternative grower's hemp full-spectrum hemp extract to your daily routine and discover what your reasons are. All right, and we've got testimonials coming in from listeners to the show that have been participating in a uh, focus group. They've gotten some of this product, and they love it. Carol Sue felt well-rested. Uh, she said she didn't toss and turn as much as she normally did. She says, I'm a morning person, and that did not interfere with my normal morning routine. I can attest to that as well. You don't wake up feeling groggy or anything like you took some you know, over-the-counter meds or something like that. Check out growershemp.com, the best quality at a price that's affordable because they control the whole process from seed to shelf, all of it. Growers Hemp maintains complete control, so you get the best quality for lower prices growershemp.com and use the promo code pete for 20 percent off check out their ad in our state magazine they're also on the shelves at broad river hemp company in shelby growershemp.com from north carolina farmers to your home growers hemp it's about the hemp and not the hype um at a, i was at a campaign event in Asheville this week and um the uh, gop chairman michael watley he told the audience that in 2016, Donald Trump got 2.36 million votes. He said Dan Forrest, in his lieutenant governor's race, got 2.39 million votes, right? Actually got more votes than Roy Cooper in the governor's race. But uh, he said if they match those vote totals this year, they're going to lose. It's not enough. So do you think that that's true? Well, yeah. I mean, if you're looking at, uh, assuming that we don't have a 
big uh, third party surge for anybody, which I don't think anybody's expecting. And you have, say, uh, 5.2 million voters, even with drop off in some of like the governor's race or whatnot, we'll just say 5 million votes, then you'll need, you know, well over 2.5 million uh, to win. So yeah, everybody's got to up their game as far as raw numbers goes this year. And, and, and once again, because the biggest growth has been among unaffiliated, those are the folks that you're going to have to get to. Yeah. Um, this was, I don't know, maybe I thought it was a surprising development. Maybe you don't. Um, so what do you think about this information that in seven of the last eight days, the GOP has led daily early vote returns, and which has never happened once. Like they've never <laughs> apparently ever led in early voting on any one day ever. And now they've they've led uh, seven out of eight days going into the final stretch of early voting. Were you surprised by that? Um, I, well, I may be surprised by seven of eight in a row, but I figured it was going to happen at least once or twice this year, because just because of that cannibalization that we had talked about earlier. Right. Um, several hundred thousand Democrats, uh, most of whom had voted early before. I think uh, I saw some numbers there, where it's a little over half of the Democrats that um, are voting by mail this year had voted early uh, in 2016. And so it makes sense that, you know, that that advantage is gone on early voting. And that's something that we've seen uh, through the last two weeks, really. The proportion of Democrats is creeping down. The proportion of Republicans is creeping up. So, yeah, and not super surprising, but maybe a little surprising about how extensive it's been. Right. Uh, we also see, uh, I guess, the current trend growth in unaffiliated registrations, the growth of the unaffiliated, you know, non-party party members um, in North Carolina in general. And do, do we have any idea how these people tend to break one way or the other? I know a lot of folks are looking at early voting numbers and they're going to try to extrapolate out some predictions or something before any vote is cast uh, on Election Day or the polls close, I should say, on Election Day. Is there anything that we can decipher from the unaffiliated? Is there anything we can decipher from the early voting numbers? Um, well, there is. Unfortunately, I haven't done it yet. Um, what we can do is look at the unaffiliated and see if any of them, uh, because all your voter history, and by the way, this is something maybe, uh, that might give people pause. Um, if you register to vote, um, your address, your name, your party registration, your voting history, all of that is public information. And it should be so we can have, you know, transparency in our election system. Um, but you can go back and look at unaffiliated voters, um, uh, ballot request in primaries. So several hundred thousand of those will have generally requested Democratic uh, ballots. Several hundred thousand of them have requested Republican primary ballots. And that's generally a good sign of the way they lean because, you know, most unaffiliateds are not truly nonpartisan. Right. They have a lean to them. And that's one way. And that doesn't help with a lot of folks because they tend to have low turnout. They really have low turnout uh, during primaries. Um, and so that might get you maybe half of the numbers. And from what I've heard, I haven't seen the numbers myself. That gives a slight advantage to the Democrats. Um, uh, but about the rest of them, the other half, there, there's no real telling on that. Now, generally speaking, you know how the unaffiliated is going to break 
kind of on geography. Unaffiliateds that live in, say, the foothills are going to break Republican. Unaffiliateds in, say, Durham County or Buncombe County are going to break Democratic. Um, so you could kind of get a proportional guess based on that. Uh, but I don't think there's a real tried and true way of knowing how all of them are going to break, especially since so many of those who generally don't come out are coming out this year. Yeah. You mentioned earlier the absentee ballots. There are a lot of people that uh, applied for them, that sent away for the absentee ballots. That deadline is now passed, right? People can't get a, a, an absentee ballot any longer, right? Yeah, you cannot request an absentee ballot. So yeah. that's all yeah. baked in. Um, there is not going to be any more numbers added to that. And we still have about half a million uh, absentee by mail ballots that have yet to that have been requested but not returned. Okay, is that concerning that there's half a million of these ballots that are out there? Um, hopefully not, <laughs> um, because <laughs> I suspect that a lot of those folks, uh, I don't think there's going to be that huge of a last minute rush because so many folks have been uh, hyping, including me today, uh, that you should get that thing sent in early. Um, I think a lot of folks that had requested absentee ballots, uh, like at the height of the coronavirus, you know, scaremongering, if you will, I don't, I don't. Because people were saying it's really not safe to vote in person, and, right. and people took that message to heart. Both parties were really pushing mail ballots for reasons that we had talked about earlier, because it's nice to know who's you know already voting. Um, well, once the party stopped pushing that a few weeks ago, uh, absentee ballot requests you know dropped, um, and now that people have started getting the message that it's safer, it is safe to vote in person, and that there are concerns about. Will my ballot get in in time? Um, will there be some problem with the mail? Um, is there an issue with ballot security? I think that has caused folks to, that a lot of those folks that have requested absentee ballots to go ahead and decide to vote in person either early or on election day. Right. And so now the Board of Elections will have more time to count all of the votes when they come in, if even if they come in now, uh, what, nine days after election day, right? It was originally three days you had to get the so you had to get it postmarked by election day but if it got to the board of elections within three days they would count it but if it came in on the fourth they would not uh this is part of that consent agreement right that now it's it's back up to nine and the supreme court said they're not going to take up this case they they punted yeah yeah the um so under North Carolina law, it's been three days, up to, you know, if it's postmarked on election days, up to three days after. Um, the exception was uh, due to federal law, military and overseas ballots could have already been accepted uh, nine days after. So what this does, this uh, consent agreement uh, does is take everybody else's, the in-state absentee by mail ballots and apply that rule to them just for this year. That right. the, that was part of a, law, a coronavirus lawsuit. So we're probably going to see another lawsuit uh, for the next election to try to make the nine days permanent. Um, that seems to be the way things go with this. Um, and there was some consistency here. Uh, if you look at the, the Pennsylvania case and the Wisconsin case, um, the consistent thing is, is that Supreme Court doesn't want federal courts messing with election laws from the states, um, and they don't seem to differentiate election rules or regulations that were passed by the legislature or uh, things that were decided in court, state court. And so because this was something, this was a case that had been uh, 
the settlement had been in a state court, the Supreme Court basically uh, decided that, well, the federal it's a little late in the game for the federal courts to mess with that. Um, and so, unfortunately, this sets up a kind of system where uh, folks in charge of state board of elections now know that if they enter into a settlement or something along those lines within the last eight weeks before yeah. election day, especially if you've got the state courts on your side, there's nothing the federal courts are going to do to stop you. Right. Which is, yeah, which is incredibly frustrating for, I think, a lot of conservatives who rightly, I am one of them, rightly believe that uh, you have a legislative body, they write the law, and this executive agency does not have that authority. Yet here they did that. And we've talked before in the past, I believe, about the Purcell, uh, I don't say doctrine, but this, yeah, yeah, principle, principle, yeah, the Purcell principle, which is uh, essentially that you don't want to mess with elections too close to the election because people get confused and uh, it undermines confidence in the system. And so uh, I thought that, like, look, this consent agreement is coming down uh, and the direction from the Board of Elections is coming down during early voting or absentee voting like people are now voting and they're changing the rules but then they said no it's okay we can do this and then the the supreme court essentially is like well you know what we're not going to take it up too close to the election purcell principle so it basically flipped the purcell principle on its head in my view it it does. Um, I guess the the way that the the Roberts Court is viewing this as a whole is that a, a state is a black box, and so they don't know, you know, they don't really care what happens before it gets to the federal level. They just don't want the federal courts messing with it at this point. Um, it'd be nice if we had something equivalent to the Purcell principle in the state courts. Mm. Uh, I kind of have a feeling that the North Carolina Supreme Court is not going to give us anything like that anytime soon. <laughs> uh, so I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't hold my breath on that. Well, because it's six, is it six to one Democrat, right? They, they're not. <laughs> six to one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we're either going to be four, three Democrat or seven, zero Democrat or somewhere in between after uh, this election. Yeah. I'm talking with Dr. Andy Jackson from the Civitas Institute. Um, and let me tell you about Rowena Patton from the All-Star Powerhouse team real quick. She outsells 99% of the realtors in the state of North Carolina. And uh, she's the only agent Christy and I called when we went looking for a home. I highly recommend her. I've recommended nobody else besides Rowena Patton. Uh, and you should use her if you're trying to sell your house uh, by the way, she gets houses sold fast and for more money. She outsells 99% of the realtors in the entire state. She's got buyers lined up already. So when you're ready to pull the trigger, you're going to get your house sold. That's why I say when you call her, start packing. Okay. Her phone number is 333-4483. Her website is mountainhomehunt.com. Give her a call. And again, then start packing. All right, Dr. Andy Jackson, um, is there anything else you want to add that you think is important or interesting to note here that we haven't already covered? Um, the one thing I would look for, uh, going back to that absentee ballot thing, um, I'm getting, I'm starting to take a look and seeing, you know, what has happened with ballots that were submitted late in 2016. I hope to get that done pretty soon. Um, what we sh- a normal return on those would be if you have. Uh, uh, your your most absentee ballot returns would be on the day after election day, and then it gradually trails down. Maybe a little spike on the Monday after 
okay. you know, about six days later because, you know, nobody's processing ballots over the weekend. And then further, Trump, if we start seeing an uptick uh, in absentee by mail ballots submitted for five, seven, eight days uh, after election, that is a potential cause for concern, especially if we have a particularly close election. Um, I would add in North Carolina, we're going to know, except for the closest of elections, we're going to know on election night who the winner is. So any of this stuff that happens in other states, we don't have to worry about. But if we have a very close election, like, say, a statewide with a difference of only a few thousand votes, then those late ballots could make a difference. Yeah, well, I'm thinking to 2016 in the governor's race. There was only like 10,000 votes that separated Cooper from McCrory. And if, you know, we end up with another margin of victory like that, yeah, those absentee ballots could very well uh, play a role. And I'm trying to, you know, trying to think, you know, what happens? Do you see a wave come in after Election Day? You know, I'm just I'm dreading this because if you see this wave start coming in, it's like the it's like the boxes that come in from these precincts at, you know, nine o'clock at night. And the polls closed at 7.30, and then all of a sudden, here comes this massive box, and it all goes one way. And usually it goes a certain way, uh, but I, and I've just seen it so many times uh, in covering elections, and I just I dread that happening because it, it's, it's really going to cause a lot of problems. People are not going to have confidence that it's not being rigged. Yeah, I, and I guess my—and, you know, piling on to that, I guess my biggest worry is that we end up with another host of post-election lawsuits the way we've seen pre-election lawsuits. Um, uh, unfortunately, a lot of my job here at Civitas has been covering lawsuits, and I would really <laughs> like to just talk about an election and not talk about, you know, how much money lawyers are making off of our election. Right. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think there's going to be a whole lot of lawsuits. I, in, in fact— I think a lot of these rules that they're putting in place right now are to uh, to sort of till the field for the litigation post-election day. I think that's what's going to happen. I think that's what that that's what's happening in real time because you look at I think I saw the stats like 400 uh, lawsuits filed across America and virtually all of them are in swing states. That's not coincidence, right? There there's a reason right. for that. And I don't know the reason yet. I suspect we're all going to find out after Election Day, though. So, um, Andy Jackson, election policy analyst with the Civitas Institute. Thanks for your time, sir. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. The other day I mentioned a story about a candidate in North Carolina that apparently uh, voted here, but then somebody else voted in her name up in New York. I've got details on that story. First, you only got one day left. Did you know that? You got one day left to take advantage of the Husqvarna fall sale going on at General Equipment Rental. It's only through October 31st, so tomorrow. you got to take advantage of these savings now. Huge deals on Husqvarna equipment, gas-powered and battery-powered equipment. All of the equipment that you need to make your life easier in the yard, on your property. Stuff like chainsaws and blowers, trimmers, lawnmowers, saws. Um, I was looking at the the yard. Uh, it looks like a, I call it a yard Roomba. It's... Uh, <laughs> Because <laughs> it just rides around your yard and it cuts your grass all the time. It's the Husqvarna Auto Mower. Um, and it, it runs silently, day and night. If somebody tries to steal it, uh, it shuts down, it becomes a paperweight, and it's got a GPS locator on it so you can basically track where the thief is. It uh, maps your entire yard, and so you can check in 
with your app when you connect your app to this thing. It's amazing technology. Um, go to generalrents.com. You'll get pre-qualified for 0% APR for 48 months, and you can also learn about the commercial fleet discounts. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road, family-owned and operated for three generations. And keep in mind, uh, if you just need a tool for one project, they've got you covered with that as they have for you know years and years and years. General Equipment Rental, your source for all of your equipment needs. Air tools, compressors, scaffolding, power tools, big ones, small ones, basically everything, okay? I learned this a long time ago, actually, that uh, if you have the right tool for the job, you basically can do anything. And that is really empowering. So whatever the project, General Equipment Rental has the tool that you need. And right now, time's running out. The Husqvarna Fall Sale. GeneralRents.com. GeneralRents.com. Think outside your toolbox. All right. So the News and Observer had this story about retired Colonel Donna Lake, who cast her ballot on a chilly October day in 2008 at the Wayne County Public Library, about three miles from her home in Goldsboro, North Carolina. Fifteen days later... On November 4th, 2008, another ballot was cast under her name. This time it was up in New York State. How that happened seems to be a mystery. Lake is now a candidate for North Carolina Senate District 7. She says she did not vote twice. She said, quote, in that election cycle, I was actively involved with the Wayne County Democratic Party and even served as a poll observer. Um, the records reflecting that I voted in person in New York are incorrect. The case brings more scrutiny to concerns about voting during the pandemic and President Trump's repeated claims about vote fraud, something experts say is rare. Again, this is the News and Observer. Uh, they reached out or they researched rather Lake's voting history after receiving a tip. Hmm, interesting. When contacted by the News and Observer, Lake provided emails that appear to indicate she scheduled meetings and appointments in North Carolina during the week of the election, including on Election Day. So it seems like uh, she was not, I mean, I believe her, I have no reason not to believe her, that she was not up there voting in New York uh, after she had already voted here. Uh, there's a possible scenario, which is somebody impersonated her up in New York. Records provided by the Suffolk County Board of Elections show that Lake was registered to vote in her home state at least as far back as July 1992. She's now 64 years old. She voted in person that year, in 92. She says those records are wrong, and she did not cast a ballot in New York that year, though. The records reflecting that I voted in person in New York in 1992 are incorrect, she said. Okay. In April of 2008... She registered to vote in North Carolina shortly after she retired from the Air Force and moved off base. Uh, for nearly five years after that, until she got purged from the New York voter rolls, she was registered to vote in both states. Being registered to vote in multiple states is not illegal. Now, voting twice in the same election in multiple states, that is illegal. Uh, it is also a felony to impersonate another voter, although nobody ever gets charged with that. I threw that last part in. <clears throat> when a voter moves to a new state, that state is supposed to send what's called a cancellation notice to the state where they had previously registered. So in her case, North Carolina should have sent some sort of a document to New York, and New York should have said, okay, thanks a lot, we got it, and poop, take her off the rolls. The Wayne County Board of Elections says that it does not have any record of sending that cancellation notice. Uh, the county's election director said that North Carolina voter registration 
uh, records did not indicate she was registered in another state, so they had no way of knowing who to send it to to cancel. So when she came here, she moved off base. They didn't know she was registered in another state. She was moving within state, off from the base, you know, into uh, into a house, I guess. Um, quote: This is from the uh, the uh, elections director Ann Riscu. She says. If a voter does not indicate their former address on the registration application, we have no way of knowing if or where the voter was formally registered. Does this seem like a problem to anybody? Show of hands. Does this seem like a problem? I think this seems like a problem. Seems like a pretty big problem. Like going into winter without warm clothing, that's a problem. That's why you need Old Grouch's military surplus in downtown Clyde. They've got military-grade thermal underwear in all sizes. Uh, They've got wool sweaters, military field jackets. They come in camouflage and in solid green. Um, All the kids love the solid green nowadays. Wool and fleece toboggans. They've got wool socks, Gore-Tex jackets. Uh, If you've got somebody who's, uh, you know, former military in your life, it's a great place to shop for them for like Christmas and such. Uh, He's also got the uh, emergency rations that you can put in your car. He's got ammo uh, boxes or uh, cans rather that you can stuff everything into so you can make an emergency kit with like the space blanket and the shovel and you can put it all in this ammo can and then you have an emergency kit in your car so you're prepared. Go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde for more than 30 years Real U.S. military surplus. The shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. So because there was no cancellation notice that went back up to New York, uh, this candidate's, uh, Colonel Lake, uh, her registration in her home state remained active in New York in 2008. States are not linked when it comes to voting records, according to New York State Board of Elections spokesman John Conklin. Uh, So New York had no way of knowing that Lake had already cast a ballot in the general election. If you vote in one state, the other state has no idea of that. Again, seems like a bit of a problem to me. Arguably, but see, this is where a voter ID would come in handy, by the way, where you, if you had to present a driver's license and people say, well, there's no, there's no problem of identity. No, but the address, it's not just the person's name and photo, you see. It's the address and the expiration date. They all have to still match. They've all got to be the same, right? All right. So, uh, and, and you have a, you have a signature as well. Arguably, this is what Conklin from New York State Board of Elections, listen to this. Arguably, if you wanted to, you could vote in the morning in New Jersey, late in the morning in New York, and later in the day in Connecticut. I think people should understand it's very much largely an honor system, and most people are honest, and they don't do that. This is the pillar of security of our election system. It's the honor system. Hey, everybody, please don't vote more than once in different states where you live. That would really stink. Thanks. Oh, as long as we're all going on the honor system, how could possible fraud ever occur? That's just craziness. We're all on the honor system. The strength of the evidence. I'm sorry. uh, They say New York does not require identification at the polls, but it does require a signature, which a poll worker then reviews. The strength of the evidence will be that poll book with the signature that's supposed to match, right? When somebody comes in to vote, does the signature match? It's extremely unusual to have someone come in and impersonate another voter, said Conklin in New York. 
My question would be, how would you even know that? How would you know that? You're assuming that someone is looking at the signature to match it to the right signature, and that's it. That's the only safeguard you've got. (laughs) All righty. Now, by the way, there was another former lawmaker that this happened to. Charles Jeter had this happen to him. Turned out somebody uh, at the polling station at one point uh, checked the wrong box or something or had somebody had the voter fill in the wrong line. They they went a line below. So it was somebody like below his name, like J instead of J-E-T-E-R. It was, you know, J-E-T-O-R or something. And so they signed on the wrong line. And so that's how he ended up getting counted in a different election or something, because he didn't know it was like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, that's uh, that was the election story I mentioned the other day. Don't know what the uh, what, what the the cause of it was. Nothing will ever come of that. They're not going to go prosecute somebody. And this is a classic example here, by the way. Do you think New York State is going to try to track down a single vote for Barack Obama or? Well, I don't know, but I assume it's New York. So it's Obama. So one single vote um, in New York State in 2008. Do you think they're going to go try to track down whoever that person was? No, they are not. Why? Way too much time and effort and resources to devote to catching one person, committing a felony that's going to be a slap on the wrist, maybe a fine, don't do it again, that's it. They're not going to devote the time and energy to finding that person. And and then they will cite the lack of any prosecution as as a reason why there's no such thing as voter fraud. And that's where we are. See, now if you had the interstate... Uh, uh, compact or whatever going on between these states where when someone registers to vote all the states share their information with each other so this way you don't have people that are registered in multiple places that are voting in multiple places Um, until you have something like that that actually gets implemented because people actually care about election integrity then you're going to have these kinds of problems and we're all going to be on the honor system and I don't know, maybe I'm a bit cynical, skeptical, or pessimistic. I like to consider myself a bit of a realist, though. I don't think that there are a lot of people uh, that are going to behave honestly. I don't think they behave on the honor system. I think a lot of people do not. And if you could tell them that they could vote multiple times, I think there are a lot of people really, really engaged in politics that they would go do it. And and they would do it because they know they're not going to get caught. And even if they did get caught they probably wouldn't be prosecuted. And even if they got prosecuted, they probably wouldn't get punished very severely. That's it. So that's our honor system. That's our election system. Um, And that's why, honestly, it requires as many people to keep voting. If you're an honest, if you're one of the people that are honest in the honor system, you need to keep voting because uh, that's the only way to guard against somebody else using your identity to vote in your absence. So uh, this election pretty important we know that city of charlotte working with equality nc and other cities to craft new non-discrimination ordinance language hb2 is coming back y'all i promised that it would i said this is not going away they put a moratorium on it when they did their fix back in 2016 and it was supposed to last through the end of 2020 and here we are the city of charlotte working with Equality NC, the North Carolina Metro Mayors Coalition, as well as leaders from cities across the state to draft a new non-discrimination ordinance, or an NDO, as it's known in the biz. 
well, not really the biz, it's just an acronym, it's much easier. Anyway, discussions about a new ordinance began earlier this month as a provision of the bill that repealed HB2, banning such ordinances, is set to expire in December uh, of this year. This is according to WBTV's Nick Oxner. So remember, the HB2 legislation dealt with two separate things. First was the bathroom issue, and the second was non-discrimination ordinances. And it basically told cities that they are not allowed to implement any kind of an NDO um, until, well, well, initially it was they can't do any NDOs. That's under the state purview. And the rationale, I know that a lot of folks on the left are like, that's because they hate transgender people. No, it was because you can't have uh, different NDOs based on jurisdictional lines. So a business that is located, you know, right outside city limits is trying to do business with the city, and now they have to abide by this NDO in this city, but if they want to do business in another city, they got to abide by an NDO in that other city. And so the state said, this is our purview. We will create uniformity across the state for all of these laws. And so if you want non-discrimination ordinances in place, you do it at the state level. And uh, this was seen as transphobic. That's what the left argued. I know. That's <laughs> it doesn't matter if there's a rational explanation for it. It doesn't matter if there's a non-Haiti reason for it. All they see is the hate. That's all it comes down to. So uh, the, the, the non-discrimination part, the NDO part of that uh, HB2 fix that they put in place, it basically told cities they can't do anything about this. You can't do any new ordinances until 2020. So now here we are, and uh, documents obtained from the city of Charlotte show that the Metro Mayor's Coalition hosted a call on October 16th to discuss the creation and implementation of new NDOs in cities across the state. This isn't going to be a one-city deal, folks. This is going to be five, six, seven, maybe a dozen, maybe more, all at once. Boom, 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 boom. And they're going to wait until after the election because they're going to wait and see whether Democrats take back the General Assembly. They're going to wait and see if the uh, if the legislative uh, arena is going to be more accommodating for their desires and whether or not they're going to ramp up uh, sort of a litigious posture if it's the Republicans still in charge. So we shall see. I, I don't know. I do know that if you're trying to find a mattress, look no further than Mattress Man. Okay, let the sleep consultants help you find the right bed for you. They helped Christy and me pick out our memory foam, king-size memory foam mattress that we love. Uh, mattress Man also has inner spring, pillow top, natural latex mattresses. They've got adjustable bases as well, so you can elevate your feet, which is good for uh, poor circulation. So uh, go check them out at mattressmanstores.com. Walk into any of their four locations in Asheville, Arden, or Hendersonville. They've got the triple zero deal going on where it's zero down, zero interest for two, uh, yeah, two years, and uh, zero payments for 90 days. So it's like basically a free bed, all right? It's almost like a free bed. Well, at least for the first three months, right? Five-star to local delivery service, and they ship nationwide, and they have a 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. So uh, according to notes from this call that occurred between these city officials and Equality NC, um, these are notes that were taken by the city attorney in Durham, and then they were shared with the Charlotte city attorney, Patrick Baker. According to the notes, the goal of passing these NDOs would be to prompt the General Assembly to pass 
comprehensive NDO legislation that would cover the entire state. That's the play. We like we prime the pump. We pass so many of these laws, these ordinances around the state that the state then does it because, well, you know, we got to have a uniformity. They'll make this argument. Democrats will make this argument that after you get enough cities that uh, that adopt these ordinances, then the state will say, well, you know, we do have 10 cities that did this and they, uh, you know, they represent let's say, you know, 60% of the population of the state of North Carolina. So we're just going to go ahead and pass a law and force all the rest of the 40% and all the, all the, you know, hundreds of cities, they'll all have to adopt these ordinances as well. Although they won't even do that. They'll just pass a state law and put everybody under the state law. Um, the note also says that the groups plan to work with the state chamber of commerce, which is favorable to the initiative. Um, all of this is contingent upon the outcome of the elections, the notes say. The notes outlining the call also make clear that organizers are working to broaden the ordinances with no specific reference to bathrooms. Yet, I throw, <laughs> yet, I put that in, yet, there's no reference to bathrooms yet. See, here's the thing. You may not remember this, but five years ago when we were going through all of the HB2 stuff, I kept asking a question, and that was, what's the end zone? Where's the goal line here? And when gay marriage was uh, uh, was approved or you know ruled to be you know uh, constitutional by the Supreme Court, love wins in the famous you know Kennedy ruling. Um, when that passed, the LGBT activist uh, movement. They then trained their sites on the T component of the LGBT, right? Uh, they had been working so long and so hard exclusively, generally exclusively on getting gay marriage approved that when it happened, our, we, we covered it at the time. There were stories out in the media about how uh, a lot of these organizations were afraid that their funding was going to start drying up because they didn't have people now that were motivated to donate because they'd already won. Like, I was in it for the gay marriage. I gave you all that money for all these years. But now that we have gay marriage, like, I don't I don't need to support you anymore. So then transgender rights became the big deal. And they still are. Like, that's that's the, the big push now. And so if you think that an NDO at a statewide level, whether you agree with it or not, if you think that's where this stops, you're crazy. It, it, it can't stop. It, it, it can't because they would be selling out than one of their constituencies. Um, the notes outlined uh, a need to have a slow and measured approach and, quote, only take action after a new General Assembly is seated. The notes indicate that cities would begin passing a new ordinance in January and February of 2021. So we got that to look forward to. Yay. <laughs> By the way, just because they do the NDOs for uh, the individual cities does not mean that the individual cities will be constrained to only doing the NDOs. We'll see how they do with their discipline on this, whether you get any of them that like break ranks and start adding the bathroom components. Charlotte might do that, but I don't know. This election is going to determine the makeup of a lot of these councils. Um, and who knows, there may be uh, there may be some flips that occur, or maybe Republicans continue to be 
out in the wilderness in cities like, you know, Charlotte and Raleigh and Durham. Maybe they don't ever get back to the table. And then these local city councils would have free reign to add more bathroom components to these local laws. We shall see. Also, this election will uh, determine who controls redistricting the political power that flows from it as well. Uh, Maybe the most fundamental prize at stake in this year's General Assembly races. This is the story by Travis Fain at WRAL. If one party controls the North Carolina House and Senate, it decides where the lines are, not only for lawmakers' own districts, uh, but for Congress as well. Democrats have promised reforms that give lawmakers less power to draw their own lines, pick their own constituents, and lock in power with computer-drawn election maps full of safe districts. Republicans, who hold the majorities now, have made no such promise. They have a nearly decade-long record of creating maps that Democrats repeatedly challenged successfully in court as illegal racial and partisan gerrymanders. By the way, GOP did the same to the Democrats pre-2010. Republicans also have a more recent record of drawing maps in a more bipartisan and transparent process as part of a court-ordered redistricting last year. Um, There's some nuance to Democratic promises on redistricting reform. I love that nuance. Any constitutional amendment changing the process, which isn't required but has often been contemplated in a lot of these reform bills, um, it would have to be in effect next year. It would not be in effect, rather, next year, when lawmakers are expected to draw the map. So when they are out there saying, oh, we want a constitutional amendment that would uh, uh, mandate independent redistricting, well, that would not be in effect for when they draw the lines. So they get to promote that they support the independent redistricting commission as a constitutional amendment, knowing that it can't possibly take effect while they draw the maps first. So maybe 10 years down the road, we'll do that. (laughs) All right, that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks for listening. I do appreciate it. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. It's totally free. Give it a positive review. I appreciate that. And uh, even consider becoming a patron of the program. You'll get cool stuff and exclusive content. Links are at thepetecalendarshow.com and in the description of the podcast. Thanks so much for the support. Thank you for listening. We'll talk with you later. And don't break anything while I'm gone. 